Amen. That's wonderful. Yes, sir. God is so good, isn't he? And boy, just to let us be a part of his family. What a blessing that is. All right. How many of you brought your Bible this morning? Would you hold up the Word of God all over the building this morning? Now, I'm going to have to ask you to help me on this one now, but it's in Second Chronicles. If you'll take your Bible. Now, there's a Second Corinthians in the New Testament. This is Second Chronicles back in the Old Testament, chapter 27. And that's page 516 if you have an old Schofield Bible. All right? Or Second Chronicles, chapter 27. And I want to read some verses here in a moment. I'm going to ask you to leave your Bibles open and follow me along here through this text this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 27. Boy, I've enjoyed the good song service this morning. It's been a blessing. And I appreciate our singers and musicians. And God has been so good to us here. And uh, praise the Lord for the good program of music that we have here at Woodland. You know something? Every song, when they got through singing it, I understood what they had said. Amen. And, you know, sometimes you go to a place and they get up and sing and you can't understand at all what they're saying. But I appreciate our good music. When we get done, we know what's been said and, and it speaks to our heart before it gets to our feet. Amen. And uh, so that's wonderful. All right, I've got just a ring up here, or it could be in my head. I'm not real sure. But I think I'm hearing a ring this morning. All right? Second Chronicles chapter 27. If you're there, would you say Amen. amen. All right, I want you to look this way if you will. Now, I'm going to have to ask you to put your thinking caps on uh, for just a moment and think back with me to a couple, maybe three or four weeks ago, and I told you back then that in the coming days that I was going to be looking at some of the how bits of the Bible. Do you remember that? I don't know, maybe three or four weeks ago. But I, I'm interested in throughout the Bible when we run into the word how be it, all right? In fact, I'm calling this series of sermons, I'm calling it Heavenly How Be It's because almost every time you run into the word how be it in the Bible, we're introduced to some kind of a great truth for our lives. Now, sometimes these word, the word how be it, was used in a positive way. It was used in an encouraging way. In other words, the first one that we looked at was from the life of Samson. And you remember, if you're familiar, Samson and Delilah. If you're not familiar with the Bible, I'm sure you're familiar with that story. How that Samson, through a series of bad choices and bad decisions, had messed up his life tremendously. He had let the Lord down. God had called him with a purpose in life, and that purpose was to rid Israel of their long-time uh, time enemies, the Philistines. And God gave him special strength to be able to accomplish that task. He was a Nazarite. A Nazarite could never, ever cut their hair. Now, his hair wasn't the source of his strength. His dedication to God was the source of his strength, but a sign of that dedication was his hair. But then, of course, we know how Delilah got involved in the picture, and she started bawling and squalling. And, and you know, enough bawling and squalling from any woman will get a man to tell the truth. And uh, that's exactly what happened to him. He told her where his great strength lies. She calls him the barbers. They give him a haircut. He ain't never going to get over. And the next picture we have of Samson is he's, he's lost his eyesight, he's bound in fetters, and he's grinding in the prison house of a Philistine god by the name of Dagon. So here's an old boy that was a judge who has become a joke. But then we run into that how be it in Samson's life. Because we read back in Judges chapter 16 and verse number 22, how be it, 
Aren't you glad for that? How be it? How be it? Nevertheless, notwithstanding, be that as it may, even so, the Bible said the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. And from that heavenly how be it in the life of Samson, we learn the depths of God's love and compassion and forgiveness. Aren't you glad that when we mess up, when we fail, aren't you glad that God will give us a how be it in our life? I'm glad for that. I'm telling you, friend, if, if God wasn't the God of a heavenly how be it, God would have checked me off a long time ago, and many of you as well. A heavenly how be it. But to, this morning, I want us to look at another how be it found in the Bible. Now, this one is not as encouraging, and it's not as positive, but I want to share it with you anyway. Now, I had you open your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 27, and what we have here in this chapter is the story, albeit it's a very brief story of the life of, run, of one of the reigns of the kings of Judah, and his name was Jotham. Now, really, when you read the story of Jotham, I mean, you really, you like just about everything you read about this old boy's life. In fact, as we look at this chapter this morning, we're told several interesting things about Jotham. In verse number 1, we're told that he was 25 years old when he began to reign. So he's a young king, relatively young. He's 25 years old. His daddy has died, which thrust him in the position, into the position of having to be the king of Judah. And at the age of 25 years old, he begins to reign over the nation of Judah. We're told in verse number 1 that he's going to reign for 16 years. So he's going to die at the ripe old age of 40 years old. He dies young. I'm 56. 41 is very, very young to me. But in this very short period of life, boy, he did a lot of good things. For instance, look down in this chapter. Look at verse number 3 and verse number 4. We're told a little bit about the works of Jotham, the works of Jotham. Look at verse 3 and 4. The Bible said he built the gate, uh, he built cities in the mountain of Judah. In the forest he built castles and towers. Verse number 3, he built the gate of the house of the Lord. And on the wall of Ophel he built much. He was a builder. He built things. The Bible tells us that he built castles and towers and, and, uh, and cities that he built. By the way, he was a builder. He was not a destroyer. You know, I want to be a builder. I want to build people up and not tear people down. I want to be like Jotham. The Bible said, as far as his works, he was a builder. A, can I say it like this? He was a builder-upper. That's right. About his works. Then look at verse 5. We're told about his wars. His wars. Not only his works, but his wars. Notice verse 5. He fought also with the king of the Ammonites and prevailed against them. And the children of Ammon gave him the same year a hundred ta talents of silver and 10,000 uh, measures of wheat and 10,000 of barley. And the Bible tells us that he defeated Israel's longtime enemies, the Ammonites, and actually made them pay tribute or taxes to the nation of Israel. You see, he was not only a builder, he was also a battler. You know, that's, that's what we're called to do in the Christian life. We're called to build, and we're also called to battle, to fight the good fight of faith. That's right. He was a, we told about his works and we're told about his wars. Next, we're told about his ways. 
Look again down at verse number 6. The Bible said, So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord. I mean, everything we read about this old boy, I mean, we like him. I mean, we want to be like him. You know, some people want to be like Mike. I want to be like Jotham. I mean, you got to like what we read about this boy's life. And then we come to his how be it. Now look again at verse 1. Let's read. Jotham was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah did. Now say the next word with me. Oh, brother. Now we run into another heavenly how be it. How be it? He had one problem. Say, preacher, what was his problem? How be it? He entered not into the temple of the Lord. Now, think back. I told you the word how be it means nevertheless or although or be that as it may or notwithstanding. So we could actually read it like this. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah did. How be it? Nonetheless, even though the Bible said he entered not into the temple of the Lord. You know what his problem was? He wouldn't go to church. His problem was he had a problem with church. You know, there's a lot of people that I know and you know in this walk of life that have this how be it in their life. Now, there's a lot of people that really struggle when it comes to go into church. He entered not into the temple of the Lord. Now, let me congratulate you because you didn't have that how be it in your life this morning. You got up, got yourself dressed, come out through the hot weather, cut the air on, and, and instead of letting the car warm up, you let the car cool down. And then you jumped in the car and you drove over here to church, and I want to thank you and congratulate you for being in the house of God this morning. But now let's face it, there's a lot of people that have a problem when it comes to going to church. Now, let me say this about Jotham. To his credit, I mean, there had to be a reason why he wouldn't go to church. Howbeit, he entered not into the temple of the Lord. There had to be a reason why Jotham just marked off of one of the things to do in his life to go to the house of God. There had to be a reason. And I think I know what it was. I really do. You see, if you go back to the previous chapter, we're introduced to Jotham's daddy. His name was Uzziah. And the Bible said that Uzziah was a good king. Look back into chapter 26 and verse number, uh, verse number 3. The Bible said that Uzziah was only 16 years old when he began to reign. And verse 4 said he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. In verse number 5, he sought God in the days of Zechariah. So here's his daddy. I mean, the Bible said he's doing what's right. He's only 16 years old, but he's made up his mind at such a tender age. He's going to do that which was right in the sight of God. He's going to seek God. And by the way, can I stop and say, that's good for any 16-year-old or 66-year-old to decide in their life, do what's right, and seek God. Amen. I'll tell you what the great need of America is, is for people to make up their mind to do what's right and to seek the Lord. And the Bible said Uzziah did that. But look over verse 16. Here's what happened to Jotham. The Bible said, but when Uzziah 
was strong. So his kingdom has been established. His uh, overall popularity, his approval rating is 100%. I mean, he is, he is the king, he is the man. The Bible said he got his heart lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Now let's stop right there. Let's see if I can explain this. So Uzziah is a king. And one day when he was strong and his kingdom was established, he decided that he was going to go to church. Good thing. Everybody ought to go to church. Good thing. The Bible said that when he went there that day that he decided that he was going to offer up incense on the altar at the house of God. Now that's where the problem comes in. You see, Uzziah was a king, but he wasn't a priest. God had already appointed and anointed the priests to offer up the incense. Uzziah's job was to run the nation. The priest's job was to take care of things in the church. Uzziah got a little bit proud in his heart, uh, pride in his heart, got a little bit too proud. He overstepped his boundaries in the house of God, tried to use up his authority into things that God said, you stay out of, I've got other people that's going to handle that. And when that happened, when he went to the house of God and tried to take over, tried to use up his authority, stepped into an area that God didn't intend for him to step into, God said, that's it. And God smote him with leprosy right then and there. Now you say, preacher, I don't understand that. Look this way. Let's, let's all of us understand that God is a God, of all, a God of order. And God has certain people to do certain things in certain places. For instance, God has given Donald Trump the presidency of the United States of America. What if God would have given that to me? I wouldn't know what I'm doing. I mean, I'd be nuking people. I'd be, I, I mean, this, I'd be, I'd, this, it, we'd be in a mess if I was president. But what if Donald Trump was preacher of this church? We'd be in a bigger mess if he was a preacher here of this church. You see, God's given him the presidency. God's called me to be the pastor. I would be out of place if I went to the White House. He would be out of place if you put him behind the pulpit. God has anointed and appointed certain people to do certain things. And if I, as a preacher, tried to overstep my boundary and make my way into the White House, there'd be great trouble to follow. And if he stepped out of the White House and tried to become pastor of this church with his baggage, there'd be a lot of problems going on right here in the house of God. God has appointed and anointed certain people to do certain things in certain places. That's true in the house of God, friend. Any time in the house of God somebody oversteps their boundary and tries to take upon themselves a position and a place that God never intended for them to have, look, we got problems on the way. There's a lot of churches in America this morning that are in trouble because you got people trying to take over in areas that God never intended for them to take over. Can I have an amen? That's exactly right. And that's what happened in our text this morning. Uzziah went to church. Nothing wrong with going to church. Everybody ought to go to church. But while he was there, he took over in a place that God didn't intend for him to have. Well, verse 17 says, when that happened, there was a bunch of priests that got together, and they went in there after Uzziah. 
And they say, hey, Uzziah, you're the king. Man, we respect you. We just want you to know we pray for you every day. But it appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to offer incense in the house of God. Well, he, instead of taking that rebuke and saying, fellas, you know something, you're exactly right. I am so sorry. I've overstepped my boundary. I want to ask you to forgive me. And, and before I ask you, let's get out of here and pray. I'm going to ask the Lord to forgive me. I, I, I intruded into an office, into a place God never intended for, that, for me to have. I'm sorry, Lord. And priest, I'm sorry, it'll never, ever happen again. That ought to have been his attitude. But how many of us know that, that's not a, the attitude of a whole lot of people today? The Bible said he got angry at those priests. Look down in this chapter, verse 19, Uzziah was wroth. He had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And guess what happened? You read on in this chapter. The Bible said that Uzziah, that good king, that godly king, who assumed a place that God never intended for him to have, was smote with leprosy, and he was put out of the house of the Lord forever. Now, Jotham comes along. Jotham knows the story. And you know what Jotham probably said? Jotham probably said, you know something? They treated my daddy like that down there at the church. I mean, if they hurt my daddy like that, are you kidding me? I've never, ever going back to the house of God again. You know, there's a lot of people with that kind of an attitude of old Jotham. I mean, some, in some kind of a church situation or some kind of a church setting, listen, they got hurt one time in church. Maybe somebody said something to them or somebody, uh, maybe, maybe their daddy got hurt or their great-grandpa got hurt in church. And because that happened, they have no more use for the house of God. There's a lot of people like, you know, I wish, I wish I could, what I'm about to say wasn't true, but can I tell you something? Don't you wish that when you come to church you'd never get hurt? Amen. Don't you just wish that everybody was just lovey-dovey in the house of God? I'm going to talk more about that in a moment. But don't you just wish everybody just got along and loved everybody and just uh, hello everybody and hug everybody's neck and shake everybody's hand? But can I tell you something? N not even in church can you find a hurt-free environment. Now, you and I would think the last place you'd ever get hurt is when you come to church. But many times, that happens. You hang in church long enough. You stay around long enough. Somebody's going to say something's going to hurt your feelings. Somebody's going to snub you. I'll tell you, some of the greatest blessings that's ever come to my life have come as a direct result of my affiliation, my association with the house of God. I know that. I got saved the house of God. I heard the message of Jesus at the house of God. I met my wife in the house of God. I've raised my kids in the house of God. The best times in my life are directly associated with the house of God, but I also got to tell you some of the greatest hurts I've ever had in my life have come from the people of the house of God. I'll tell you what's the truth. Don't you be mad at me now, but I'm going to tell you the truth when you come over here. But I'm going to tell you something. You let an old Christian get backslid on God and start walking after the flesh, they're meaner than ten men over at the beer joint. And they'll say things about you. They'll dream up things to say about you that somebody that's fallen over drunk up here at this hellhole would never even begin to even think about saying about you. You're going to get hurt if you come to church. Hang around long enough, there's going to be some hurts. Hey, but don't you quit on God. Hey, don't you quit on church. Who are you serving anyway? Hey, who died for you? Who saved you? Who lives in your heart? And who are we going to live etern in eternity with? 
Don't you quit church. Don't you give up on God because you get your feelings hurt. By the way, you get hurt down at work. But I guarantee at 5.30 in the morning, you'll be out there grinding on that old Ford, trying to get it to crank so you can go to work in the morning. They talk about you like a dog down there, but you keep going back. I tell you what, you get hurt in your family, but you're going to show up at the next family reunion. Hey, you get hurt, you get hurt in your neighborhood, but you're going to keep living there. But you get hurt at church, and the devil says, if I was you, I'd just quit. And we crazy because we listen to him. Or else here's what happens. We get hurt in some kind of a church sitting uh, situation or setting, and then we say to ourselves, well, I'll tell you what, I'll go back, but I ain't never getting involved no more. I'm not joining another one. No, sir. I mean, and we build a wall around ourselves because we got hurt in some kind of a church setting or situation, and we build this wall around ourselves, and we say, okay, if that happened to me, it'll never happen to me again because I'll never join another one or I'll never even get involved in another church. And all the while, we're disobeying what God's will is for our life. Now listen to me. Here's Jotham. His works, his wars, his ways were pleasing to the Lord. But his one howbeit was that he wouldn't go to church. Now I want you to look this way. And here's my message and we're done. I want to tell you four reasons, four things that happens when you go to church. Now listen, here's an old boy that wouldn't go. And by the way, you say, preacher, what happened to him? Well, we know he died at 41. But then if you look at the next chapter, his son becomes king. If I can make a long story short, look at verse, uh, verse 1. Ahaz, chapter 28, is 20 years old. He began to reign Jerusalem, but he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. And then if you look over in the same chapter, look at verse number, uh, verse number, uh, verse number, it's in this chapter. Look at verse 24. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God, and shut up the doors to the house of the Lord, and made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. So what happened? Daddy loved God. Daddy went to church, usurped his authority, got a little bit proud, stepped into a place he never should have went. And, and right there at the house of God, he received judgment. Jotham comes along. I'm going to serve God, but I'm not going to have anything to do with church. Now we're the, the second generation, third generation removed, and Ahaz had no use for the house of God at all. The Bible said he cut up the vessels and he shut the doors. Why not? Daddy didn't have no use for it. Can I tell every one of us parents in this room something this morning? How you treat the house of God is going to, be a, is going to have a lot to say in how your young'uns, your children treat the house of God. That's right. You go ahead and take them to these ball games if you want to on Sunday. You drag them around to every AAU tournament that's on the face of the earth. Leave them out all weekend. Drag them here. Take them to the swim meet. Take them to the ball games. Take them here. Take them to the Teach them that if you want to. But I'm here to tell you, you teach them that the house of God is something you can take or leave. Don't you be surprised. It's when they get old, they have no use for the house of God. How we treat it. It's going to have a lot to say how our young'uns are going to treat it. That's right. Now here's my message. We're through. Are you all ready for this? Can I tell you four things that happens to me when I come to the house of God? First of all, number one, every time I come to the house of God, number one, <laughs> I have a meeting with my family. I have a meeting with my family. Now, let me tell you something. Listen, when you got saved, you became a part of God's family. 
And anybody who is saved is a part of the family of God. You know yourself, most time when somebody comes up here and gets saved at, at our church, one of the first things I always say to them is, welcome to the family. Because when you get saved, when you get born again, you become a part of the family of God. But remember, listen now, in a real sense, God has two families. Let me explainify that to you. God has two families. God has a global family, and God has a local family. Let me explain that to you. The global family. Anybody that gets saved by the grace of God is put into the family of God, the worldwide, universal family of God. Anybody who receives the Lord Jesus as their Savior, anybody who's washed in the blood of Jesus, anybody, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of what country they're from, regardless of what language they speak, regardless of what culture they are, when they receive Jesus, they become a part of the worldwide, global, universal family of God. But can I tell you something? Once I become a part of God's universal family, once I become a part of God's global family, God then commands me to come, become a part of a local family. In other words, what I'm trying to say is when I get saved by the grace of God, I'm put into the family of God, but then God looks at me and says, okay, now, what I want you to do is I want you to join up with a local part of my family in a local church, in a, in a, in a church kind of a, of a setting. And once I became saved by the grace of God and became a part of God's big family, God said, okay, now, I want you to join up with one of my smaller families. In this instance, Woodland Baptist Church. God allowed me and led me to join this church. Now, you don't join a church to be saved. You join a church because you are saved. A lot of people put the cart before the horse. They want to run down an aisle. They want to join a church with some wild kind of a notion. Okay, I'm right with God. I'm going to heaven because I belong to the church. Can I tell you something? A lot of people with a lot of names on, their church, on the church roll are going to die and wake up in hell some of these days. You get saved, and then you join the church after you get baptized. And, and so, in a real sense, God commanded me, now that you're a part of my global family, I want you to get into one of my local families. And I joined the church. You know why I joined the church? To identify with who I am. I mean, let's just face it. If, I, if you met me at the hospital, and I've told you this before, but I go to the hospital, and those, some of those ladies over there, they, those cleaning ladies, bless their heart, they think I'm a doctor. I guess because they see me about every morning. But I mean, there's one lady, she works on the ninth floor. She, her, her glasses look like the bottom of a Coca-Cola bottle. I mean, they're very thick. And she's a sweet and kind lady. But every time I pass her, she always says, Good morning, doctor. And I told her the first time, Ma'am, I'm not a doctor. I'm a Baptist preacher. But she don't remember. She still says it. So now I just got where I say, And good morning. And I just keep walking. <laughs> but how do we know somebody's a doctor? Well, go to the hospital. They got a long white coat on and a stethoscope around their neck. That identifies them as being a doctor. Our good officers from the Winston-Salem Sheriff's Department are here this morning. You know how I know who they are? Because they got it. they're packing heat on their side. But they've also got a sheriff's uniform on. That identifies them with being a sheriff. Can I tell you something of what identifies me with being a child of God? Is I'm a part of the church. And that identifies me as being a part of the family of God. 
And once I joined this local church, guess what? I became a part of the family. And so this morning, what you're in, if you're not a member here, can I tell you this? Really what you're a part of, it's just a family meeting. Because this is not a club. This is not a society. This is not an organization. It's a family. And so if you're visiting today, hey, you're just sitting in on one of our family meetings around here. We are family. How in the world does a person make it through life with all of its bumps and cuts and bruises without a church family? I guarantee you, Miss Annie's here this morning. We had Brother Edgar's funeral here yesterday. And, but I guarantee you one of the things, if she stood up this morning, one of the things that she would do is say, boy, I just want to thank you all for praying for me and thank you for the food you prepared and thank you for the flowers that you sent and just thank you for calling me and sending me a card. and Hey, thank you for being concerned about me. You know why? She's a part of the family. And when one of us hurt... We all try to pitch in and get under the load of it and help her just a little bit. How do people make it through life without a family? You see, the old song that we sing around here sometimes goes like this. You will notice that we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family, and these are so near. When one has a heartache, we all shed a tear and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. You mean, preacher, everybody in here likes you? No. My own sisters don't even like me. But can I tell you something? We may not dot every I and cross every T the same, but bless your heart, if you're a member here, I'm a member here, guess what? Man, we're a part of the family. And I love you. You say, I don't like you. Well, I'm praying for you. I'm praying you'll get right with God. Start liking me. If that makes you mad, come up to me after church and apologize and I'll forgive you. Because every time I come to church, I, I meet with my family. You're my family. I love you. I meet with my family. Number two, every time I come to church, I, it's not only a meeting with my family, but watch this. I get a message from my father. I have a meeting with my family. But every time I get together, I get a message from my father. I just got a good message in song just a minute ago. We shall see G. <laughs> Shut up. I, you know what? I, the message I got from that, Jesus is coming. I got a good one from that first song. You know what that message is? I'm alive. The tomb is empty. Hey, when I come to church, we always give attention and give place around here to the Word of God. We did that in Sunday school this morning. Our teachers all over this building stood up and taught the Word of God. Right now on the other side of that building over there, there's all kind of preaching that's going on. Just a little bit, we'll get out of here. The Spanish church will move in here and there's all kind of preaching that'll go on. Hey, we always give attention and give place and preeminence and priority to the Word of God in this place. You know why? I'll tell you why. There's some benefits that come from the Word of God. The Word of God will calm you when you doubt. The Word of God will cheer you when you're discouraged. The Word of God will cleanse you when you're dirty. The Word of God will comfort you when you're down. But let me tell you the greatest thing the Word of God will do for you. It'll keep you from messing up your life. 
It'll keep you from ruining your life. God loves you so much and cares about you so much that He don't want you to make bad choices or bad decisions that will lead you down the road to self-destruction. God don't want you to live in misery. So from time to time, when we gather in this place, God will have a message for you to turn you around and get you moving back in the right direction. I cannot tell you how many times that I have sat in revival meetings right here at this church. We've invited some preacher to come in and preach, and uh, that preacher will stand up and he'll preach a message, and the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, boy, I hope so-and-so is here. And it's not that I'm trying to shovel it on back. What I'm saying is I know what's going on in their life right now, and this is a message from God for them. And when they miss church, can I tell you something? They're not just missing a meeting with their family, but they may miss the message that will be life-changing for them. They may miss the message that will keep their family together. They may miss the message that will keep their kids from messing up. They may miss the message that will keep them from messing up. They may miss the message of God's call into some area of ministry. I'm here to tell you, every time we meet together, we get a message from our Father. Boy, that's why we want to give attention to the Word of God. That's why our pulpit's not on wheels. We don't roll it in and out. Hey, it's not if we're going to have a message when we get here. We're going to give priority to the Bible. You know why? It's a message from our Father. And if we'll listen, it won't, it'll keep us from messing up our life. So here we go. I meet with my family. I get a message from my Father. Number three. I have a ministry to my friends. You say, preacher, what kind of a ministry do you have to your friends? Well, think of it in terms like this. If our teachers hadn't showed up this morning in Sunday school, if our teachers hadn't showed up, if they had the attitude of old Joe Tham, if they hadn't showed up, can I tell you something? There was some word that wouldn't have been taught today. If our choir hadn't showed up this morning and sang so wonderfully for us, our music, our, our singing would not have been as strong. If our musicians hadn't showed up this morning, there'd have been some notes that would not have been played. If you hadn't showed up this morning, there would have been some seats that would have not been filled. If I had showed up this morning, if I hadn't showed up this morning, the sermon would have not been as long. Shut up. If you hadn't showed up this morning, there'd have been some money that wouldn't have been given. There'd have been some prayers that wouldn't have been prayed. There'd have been some hands that hadn't went and gotten shook. And in a real sense, there'd have been some encouragement that would have not been received. Can I tell you what really happened this morning by you showing up at church? What you did to me, you, you ministered to me. Just as much as I'm ministering to you, you encouraged me. Because over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, now, I don't know if I had that to put up on. Yeah, there it is, Hebrews 10. Look at this, verse 25. Let me read it to you. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. So he's talking about going to church. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together is the manner of some. Is now, don't you be like some? Because some sitting here this morning are not going to come back tonight. And some will be sitting here tonight won't come back on Wednesday. Don't be like some. Don't be like that, as the manner of some is. But what's the next phrase say? But what? Exhorting who? So real, in a real sense, when you showed up this morning, you ministered to me. You exhorted me. You encouraged me. 
I can't tell you how many times I've been standing up here preaching, the devil jump right here on my shoulder and say, hey, so-and-so's not here. I bet you made them mad. And the whole time I'm preaching, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what have I said that's hurt them? And the whole time it bothers me. And the whole thing could have been cleared up if you just showed up. In reality, I ain't done nothing to make you mad. You just didn't come, but the devil's lying to me, and I'm stupid enough to listen to it. And what if I hadn't have been here? You showed up this morning, and the choir sung, and then it come time for the preaching part, and somebody said, hey, where's Brother Tim? I said, man, the last time I seen him was pulling a boat down Highway 52. He's going fishing today. Would that not have been just a little bit discouraging? Man, our preacher don't even come to church. That's the kind of preacher we like around here. One don't come. We just have seen him go home. No, sir, it had been discouraging. I, in a real sense, man, I minister to my friends when I show up. In a real sense, man, I encouraged you by showing up at church today. <laughs> toot, toot. Man, I, I helped you by coming to church today. Whoop, whoop. You helped me. And then number four, watch this. There's a meeting with my family, a message from my father, a ministry to my friends. But, buddy, if I miss church, I'm afraid I might miss a moving in your fellowship. We never know when God's going to show up around here. Amen. I mean, we've had those services in times when God has greatly moved. There's been times when you got in the car and headed up the road, and your attitude was, man, God was met with us today, didn't he? There's been times that we've met here and folks started running to the altar. I mean, I mean for the, I've even seen them run to the altar before the service starts. I've seen so things get off so track around here. I mean, just messes up everything we got going on, people up here at the altar the whole time. I've seen it happen. I've seen people get up off the altar and go hug somebody's neck and them two make it right right there in the church. Maybe there was some animosity, some bad feelings, and they made it right, and people were around them, and they were waving their woo, and they were shouting, and people started running down the aisles and getting saved, and hugging necks and shaking hands. Hey, 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 I want to be there when that happens. If I just lay out, I might miss that. Can I tell y'all something? Y'all Sunday mourners, I love you with all my heart, but can I tell you something? You miss some of the best services we have around here because they're on Sunday night. And you, if you don't come, if you sit at home tonight with your Winston-Salem journal and your Bermuda shorts on with Great Bird Splash Kool-Aid under a shade tree and a lawn chair, and you, you, you won't come to church, you may miss the service that's going to change your life or the life of your family. You say, preacher, you guarantee that? I can't guarantee it. But I tell you what, I'll be a candidate because I want to be here for it. I don't want this how be it to be in my life. When I die, when I die, and I don't know how old I am, maybe I'm, I might be, I don't know, I'd like to think I'm going to be 97 when I die. Not a tooth in my head or a hair on top. In some rest home somewhere. And maybe not even able to get out and go to church, but one of our preacher boys comes by the rest home every Sunday. Bless God, roll me in. And somebody comes up to me and say, Brother Tim, what's going on? And I say, I'm Tim. God, I see you that. I see miss on the ceiling. Man, I want, I, I want, when I die, I want somebody to be able to stand. Man, he wouldn't much, but I tell you one thing, you can count on him being here. Amen. I don't want to be like old Jotham. 
whose works, ways, and wars please the Lord. How be it, how be it, he entered not into the temple of the Lord. And the people, did you catch that? And the people did yet corruptly. That's right. Now here's what needs to happen this morning. Some of y'all that are sitting right here, you ought to come this morning because you need a family. You need a church family. And you ought to walk down these aisles this morning in just a minute when we give the invitation. And you ought to say, you know something? I've been saved and I've been scripturally baptized by immersion and I want to walk down the aisle and I want to join a local part of the family. And get in here and let us pray for you. You help us, we'll help you. Amen? Some of you might need to come and even to get saved this morning. Give your heart to Jesus and get saved. And then maybe some of you that's been hurt in some kind of a church setting needs to come and say, look, that happened over there, but that's over there. It's done, it's finished, it's passed, it's over with. Not one thing I can do about it. But I tell you, bless God, I'm, I'm going I'm to make a difference from here on out. I'm going to join a good church. Amen? Well, if some people ask you where you go to church, you say, well, I'll go over to that woodland. If they ask you who your preacher was, you say, oh, it's Brother Tim, Till we can do better then why don't you join up with us this morning? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father.